0: We all want to believe in something, but how far will we go to find meaning? From the executive producer of Friday Night Lights, Hulu's new original drama series, The Path, takes audiences inside the mysterious world of a controversial cult-like movement. Starring Aaron Paul, Michelle Monaghan, and Hugh Dancy, and hailed by The Hollywood Reporter as impressive and riveting, The Path takes an in-depth look at the gravitational pull of belief and what it means to choose between the life we live and the life we want. The Path, now streaming new episodes Wednesdays, only on Hulu. And now... Please enjoy this live recording of Screen Talk, which took place at the American Pavilion at the Cannes Film Festival, with a special introduction by IndieWire co-founder, Eugene Hernandez.
1: My name is Eugene Hernandez, I'm um, from the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Um, hello, wow, more people than last year, I think, that's great. Um... I am one of the founders of IndieWire, and it's a really exciting year for IndieWire because IndieWire is turning 20 years old this year, so it's really exciting for us, if nothing else, those of us who were involved in the early days, to look back and um, think about how much IndieWire has, has uh, evolved and exploded and expanded uh, over the last number of years. Um, in particular, this past year, with the acquisition of the company by PMC, And all that that uh, will allow the company to do, both its expansion on its new website coming soon and a number of other things that I know Eric and Anne will be um, unveiling over the course of the next coming months. Um, But as someone who's um, good friends with each of these folks and have worked with them for a number of years now, um, I'm just a big fan of this podcast. So how many of you already listen to Screen Talk? How many of you? Yes. How many have never heard it before? okay so you 're going to get a whole bunch of new subscriptions today, so make sure you go on your device or however you listen to podcasts, sign up for it. Um, what I love about screen talk is um, it connects back to some of the things I thought about when we were starting indiewire, and that was that um, it 's not just about the content it 's not just about the the articles that the site or the company writes, which, is, which are always interesting um, but it 's always been about also the community and the people involved and I think what 's great about screen talk is that Listening to this podcast, and I, Eric just told me that they're coming up on their 100th episode, um, you get a really good sense of the people behind the publication. Um, you get to know Eric, you get to know Anne uh, really, really well by listening to them every single week, discuss, debate, argue, um, agree on movies from a bunch of different perspectives, uh, sometimes agree on movies. Um, and I think uh, I think Screen Talk is, is no more... Uh, exciting and and valuable than at a festival like this because Eric and Anne uh, are out all hours of the day writing and gathering content all hours of the night, um, talking to people, watching movies, um, gleaning information and insight that doesn't always make it into what you write. Or maybe it doesn't always... um, Show up there immediately. Maybe there's things that you're going to you're going to experience this week that will that will come up later uh, in the course of the year. But what the, this podcast allows you to do, and what I've really enjoyed about it over the almost 100 episodes now, is the uh, is the kind of behind the scenes and and the kind of insight that you get from two people who Eric's been coming here for now 10 years, and I don't remember how many years has been many a couple more than that, maybe multiple of that. Um, and there's a tremendous amount of insight, and there's also a tremendous amount of enthusiasm that is behind uh this podcast and the people that create it so i'm thrilled to be asked to introduce it i'll be sitting in the back uh listening uh, as i do every saturday morning as i'm cleaning my apartment with to the to the sounds of these two uh it's a terrific podcast make sure you sign up for it um make sure you spread the word and share um information about it so that your friends back home can sign up for it and um, without further ado eric cone and ann thompson Thanks, Eugene.
2: Thank you, Eugene.
0: That was a great sequel to his introduction last year, if you want to hear the first edition of it. But uh, no, it's really great to it's have a tradition. Uh, Eugene Hernandez introduce us, to with our 20th anniversary coming up. We're thinking a lot about legacy, and he's here with Film Comment now from the Film Society of Lincoln Center side, and it seems like they're going through a similar stage of sort of looking back at their legacy and reinventing and so forth. But uh, thinking back on the 20 years of IndieWire is actually really interesting from a can perspective, because Twenty years ago I wasn't here, but I assume it was very similar to the way things are now because over the course of ten years that I've been coming here, not a whole lot changes at CAN.
2: Well there are barcodes now. (laughs) And there's extra security.
0: But can is can and the rest of the world changes in all kinds of different ways.
2: Well the market itself changes. What can what doesn't change about can is its emphasis on auteurs the competition, that kind of thing. But the world around Cannes is changing. What's so interesting is that this great granddaddy is trying to stay pure, trying to stay involved with movies as opposed to all the other festivals which are all moving into television or the industry itself.
0: And so there's this whole mystique to it, right? The, the festival programming actually tries to tell you a story. It starts at one point and ends at another point, and if you leave early, you miss the ending. So there, there's this fascinating kind of speculative element where every day you get another piece of that story, and maybe that movie works and that movie doesn't work, and sometimes they boo and sometimes they applaud, and you can't trust all of those different things, but it's just a fascinating way to kind of look at what film culture is when it's just film culture and not all that other noise that's out there.
2: It's pretty heady to be in the Palais in the morning at the press screening and walk out with all these people from all over the world. And I love working in the press room. And you're surrounded by all these people from countries. They all speak different languages, and they all love film. And they're writing up their reviews. And I love being part of that community.
0: So going into Cannes this year, all we could do was either speculate about movies or look at things that weren't, uh, you know, basically involving the movies themselves, but the companies. So we had this narrative associated with Amazon, for example. Amazon was a big company here. They had still five are. movies. They still are. Some of those movies have screened. Some of them haven't. None of them have been released yet, so, you know, we don't have all of that. But we're also looking at those movies. So, for example, Woody Allen started yeah. the festival.
2: So that narrative has to do with what, you know, we've moved on. We're, we're here today. We're not talking about Woody Allen anymore. But at the beginning of the festival, it was all about the, you know, son, Ronan Farrow coming after him, you know, the, the, the whole question of of, of his... Uh, the movie itself being completely overshadowed by an old family scandal. So, Do we
0: think that Amazon, as a big company, is ready to deal with these sort of challenges? A Woody Allen movie did well in the hands of a company like Sony Pictures Classics that's dealt with this kind of a highbrow film that appeals to a certain sensibility, whether it's Dealing with a publicity scandal or dealing with, you know, Woody Allen, is, does, doesn't, he's not commercial to everybody, but certain companies know how to market that brand. Is Amazon, do we believe in Amazon that they can actually well, do that?
2: They're more theatrically oriented than Netflix is. If you were asking me this question about Netflix, I would say, "Whoa, I don't know how they're going to cope." But you've got Bob Bernie and Ted Hope. These are veterans. These are people who know about movies, and they have relationships with filmmakers and distributors uh, and exhibitors, and they know how to market. and And they're they're going to take it out with another distributor, Lionsgate, and it'll get it'll get out there.
0: I think what's fascinating about this conversation, if you if you're here and you're watching movies. The first thing that comes to mind after you see those movies and you really like them is, is are my friends back home going to get a chance to experience this thing I got to experience?
2: Woody Allen they're going to see, and it'll be the older audience that goes to the movies nowadays. It's a perfect for them. Although even Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart have a following of their own, so there may be a broader demographic involved.
0: And yet Amazon is not only taking safe bets, because you take a few of these other films that they have here, like, for example, Park Chan-wook's The Handmaiden, and yes there's a, there's a, there are people who like his kind of crazy vision from the old boy days but at the same time this kind of Period drama that's also a, a lesbian noir story of sorts is is not the easiest sell. So maybe that's the bigger test for it.
2: Me. All depends on whether sex sells and whether lesbian sex sells. This movie is hot. This movie is in Fifty Shades of Grey territory. Careful do put you in the
0: tar- in the trailer with that one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and and it's beautifully made. It's I think it's his most beautiful film aesthetically. I think I think it's really stunning.
0: But we're and I like Ma- to
2: see him back in Korean too. Well, I didn't think Cre- that Stoker Japanese. worked yeah. that that well.
0: Yeah, that, that's a good point, but I mean uh, and certainly it's it's a well-scripted film with this really complex three-act structure to it, but it's also a subtitled movie. I mean, we're in the American pavilion. We're talking about the American marketplace. Can Amazon as a big company spend in the appropriate way to get people to go see a foreign language film?
2: If you have a foreign language art film by Park Chan-wook, you're dealing in that narrow strata of art film distribution. And it's—they didn't spend a lot for this. They'll get that out. That's not a problem for them.
0: See, I, I think it's up
2: to you, reviewers. Yeah,
0: you know, I mean, we we and we've generally liked the movies that they have here. Even Cafe Society, which wasn't you know a slam dunk. I think it was it well went, reviewed. It went over okay. It went over okay. I guess. Well, my, what did I'm, we
2: think of Cafe Society? I, I, Let's be honest about it. I thought it was okay.
0: You know, if you're, if you're on that Woody Allen wavelength and you don't have a certain moral objection, like some people seem to have now, to, to watching those movies, I think this is one of the better minor works we've seen of late.
2: Lately, I just feel that he's creating this world that is utterly and completely fake. It's his voice. It's his writing. It's somewhere, and this is especially so because it's set in the past in some version of Hollywood that he loves and remembers fondly from the 30s, um, he was, you know, it is, it is, it is so far removed from anything to do with today, and it is up to the actors. It always is, and when someone like Kate Blanchett with Blue Jasmine rises to the occasion and runs with it and just completely infuses it with life and creates a character out of what he wrote, it can be great. And, you know, um, I
0: see a similar phenomenon here with the cinematographer, Vittorio Storaro, really taking over the film and using He's the star of the film.
2: He's the best thing about it. The
0: camera it. movement is, is remarkable First and so time. forth. Uh, but, you know, in terms of creating your own world... I go to the Darden Brothers movie, The Unknown Girl, this morning. I expect realism. I don't go to Woody Allen for realism. I certainly don't go to Park Chan-wook for realism. No, but
2: you want a movie to come to life. You don't want it to sit there flat and not affect you at all. I don't think this is a I flat I wanted it, to way. be um, emotionally involved with those characters, and I wasn't.
0: Well, I think one of the things that, that's sort of challenging about it is that there, it's not breaking a lot of rules in terms of the fantasy that it's constructing. It's got that old Hollywood vibe, and then you have that kind of old New York vibe. I think he's on steadier footing with the New York vibe than the Hollywood one. Agreed. But it's, it's, it's a fun it's a fun ride. I mean, it's not the better uh, Kristen Stewart movie here, I will say Personal that.
2: Personal shopper we both like.
0: Kind of hilarious because that was the one that everyone said was getting booed, whereas Cafe Society did okay.
2: Well, I have a theory about why it was booed. I think that what happened is that the movie ends on a, on a note that is not utterly satisfying for people.
0: And we won't spoil it. but I'm I, not going to say what it is. Theory. But that
2: hap- when that happens with, the, with a group of people like these people... They go, shh, boo.
0: Here's the thing. I, th- I think you're wrong. And, and this is my anecdotal evidence. <laughs> I, ha- I, have, I have anecdotal evidence that I'm going to present empirically, which is that uh, somebody sitting next to me was visibly asleep through the ending of this movie. People
2: don't boo because they slept.
0: But this person did.
2: <laughs> they booed when they, at the end of the movie? They woke up and booed?
0: Yep, yep. And I think what happened in that case was there, there's a largely exhausted crowd of people who are not necessarily willing to meet a movie halfway to try to wrestle with the movie on on its own terms, which isn't necessarily an excuse. Note, but if somebody is, is nodding off, and they they wake up, they may get little p- bits and pieces. It doesn't add up. Forget it.
2: We're both speculating as to why they because booed.
0: Because we both did not boo because we both we liked it. liked it. Yeah, but
2: what I what I but it didn't surprise me that they booed. That, that's the thing. I also think that it, this is a slight ghost story that is playing around with genre elements in terms of frightening you with certain techniques of the camera. And I don't think it's the high art film that some people were expecting. I'm not saying it isn't a high art film, but I don't think it's what they were expecting, which is to his credit, Assayas' credit.
0: It's it's very studied. I mean, I, I do think he was paying homage to certain horror film traditions. There's some Argento in there, Val Luton, a lot of different elements of, of films that people may or may not know. And I that think he alienating. was also
2: reinventing it for himself. I, I think it's... Uh, you, you ascribe a lot of references to it, but he, he doesn't when he talks about it. He talks well, about it... Because he wants it. to say, I invented yeah, it. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> he wants to take all the credit. I mean, you know, not, not everybody is Tarantino and give, gives you a laundry list of things to go out and, and view. But uh, what I think is actually really fascinating about... This reception is that the next day apparently it played very well at its public premiere, and I think back home in the states where IFC Films is going to release this movie, they could do really well with it. It may
2: be commercial for all of those genre reasons.
0: Yeah, they don't need to kind of you know go into recon mode and, and reinvent the strategy here. I mean, last year the Big Boo movie was a Gus Van Sands film with Matthew McConaughey, which I've erased from my mind. I don't even remember what it was called. Do you, do you have a C?
2: Something sea to do, of do with C?
0: And it's all coming back to me now, painfully.
2: I skipped it. <laughs> Still I, has not been I like been to released. skip the bad movies if I can. I mean,
0: that, w- that movie just got steamrolled, and and this one, I think, for other for different kinds of reasons, is able to transcend this, this sort of reaction because it's not a movie that needs the popular. Also, consensus.
2: Kristen Stewart is a big movie star, and she's very good in it, and, and carries it in a way that I thought was very impressive. Um, so, uh, and, and so this is really she's done well. This can Kristen it turned Stewart turned out
0: okay. And we'll find, we haven't seen the other Jim Jarmusch movie, but going into this festival, the two names we were throwing around is sort of who we thought would really pop this year were Kristen Stewart and, and Jim Jarmusch. And
2: Jim Jarmusch delivered as so well. So far, so
0: good with Patterson. I thought it was really terrific. I'm fascinated to see how a movie like that, which has a star, Adam Driver, a face made for the Jim Jarmusch universe, really. Uh, but it's a Jim Jarmusch movie. It's, it's, it's a very quiet, introspective film. I think it's his warmest film, but... It's got its own kind of rhythm to it, and I think people who aren't used to that aren't necessarily going to just jump on it. Word of mouth is not an easy sell. In that this is respect. going to
2: be in the art film universe, um, and it could really help push Adam Driver into more stardom. He's going to get some good, good, good reviews for this. He carries it, and, and it could it could have failed so incredibly with the wrong actor because he's so quiet, and he's, the camera is on his face in close up a lot of the time, and you're just sort of a, you're trying to figure out what is he. Thinking? He's a poet. He's thinking about poetry. There are two films about poetry here. The other one is uh, Neruda which uh, is about the poet, Neruda, and it stars Gael Garcia Bernal as a policeman chasing the politician, Neruda, who is a communist and was pushed out of power by the government and is on the run. A whole story I did not know yeah, about him. Yeah, and this him. is
0: from, from Chile's Pablo Lorraine, who made No, which premiered at Director's Fortnight just a couple of years ago and was nominated for an Oscar, and they could not be more similar. In fact, if you've seen Lorraine's films, none of them are similar, except that they all deal with... Chilean history. His next film is actually going to have Natalie Portman in it and be focused on Jackie Onassis. He's going English. Yeah, exactly. He, he's finally selling out, but he's, he's kind of built up to that point in a, in a really remarkable way. And what I like about Neruda is that it starts out feeling like a kind of hackneyed melodrama and then it goes in a totally different direction that people aren't... There's no way to really describe it. It just it becomes more about the subjective experience of obsessing over history and, and wanting to be a part of history. And uh, Gal Garcia Bernal is really great in it. But uh, that was actually one of the first major cells. the Orchard. The, the Orchard. I ran into is... them
2: after the screening, and, and I tweeted them, and, and afterwards they said, we were working. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you busted their, their spot. So, but what's interesting about that is that, I mean, talk about a movie that's not an easy sell. You didn't know Neruda. I assume most of the people in this room did I didn't knew the
2: poetry of Neruda. That is part the, of what the movie's about, is that his poetry is what survived in the end, not the story of his politics.
0: Right, exactly. And, and this very strange kind of tonally, you know, fluid movie in the sense that it flows from one point to the next rather than being cohesive uh, is uh, not something that you would expect a, a company like The Orchard, which is trying to make money, as opposed to some of these really tiny companies that have other ways of, of navigating the, the business to, to do that. I mean, what, what could you possibly do with this movie? Commercial. Again,
2: it's gonna be a small little art house movie that will be likely nominated by Chile. I mean submitted by Chile for a potential Oscar nomination. They're gonna to try to do it again.
0: So that that ends up being the, the crucial factor for so many movies here. If it's in foreign language, you better hope there's Oscar potential, as with Tony Erdman.
2: You want Germany to submit the movie for the Oscar. So Tony Erdman and and Adam, you know, brings up this this idea of there are all these Movies that are sort of celebrating, if you like, the disconnected life—the life, you know. In other words, in 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 Patterson, it's a bus driver. He has no cell phone. He's quiet. He goes home to his wife every night. He has rituals that involve going to the local bar. You know, it isn't about being connected. And I find I find that that uh, the the fight for the, that the father is making in Tony Erdman is to bring his tech obsessive, workaholic daughter back to reality.
0: See, I thought you were going to go and one step further with that. It's not just about being disconnected. It's about being disconnected as a result of, fam, of fa- family life. Absolutely. You have that movie, you have uh, Patterson, wh- in which Adam Driver is sort of lost in the contentment of his relationship, mm-hmm. and then you have Loving... This, you know, basically the, the biggest Oscar movie Definitely. here of sorts, in which a, a couple really doesn't want anything to do with the kind of media story around, you know, the, the Supreme Court ruling on, on mixed race, r- race marriage and, and really just wants to kind of have their life together. And so that, that trifecta of sorts, you know, it's the old J school rule that three is a trend. I think that's what's so fascinating is to see all those stories coming together. They're very small and intimate, and yet they're speaking to these universal concerns that are elevating them in this environment.
2: So the movie that I missed that you liked was American Honey?
0: Yeah, American Honey. So, so that's actually a complete contrast to a lot of the other stuff we're talking about here. It's, it's close to an experimental story in a lot of ways. Andrea Arnold is a filmmaker who, here at Cannes, is kind of a big deal. I mean, she, she's won prizes here for movies like Fish Tank. She's been on the jury and so forth. She's never been huge in the States. This is her first American film. It's two and a half hours long. It's a road trip odyssey with a runaway teen who basically falls in love with this kind of grimy huckster of sorts played by Shia LaBeouf in what I think is actually his best role, at least in a decade, if not more. And uh, it's it's beautiful. It's expressionistic. It's, it's vulgar. And uh, I think what what's challenging about a movie like that is that it asks a lot of the audience to stick with it all the way through to understand the ways in which individual moments speak to a much larger picture, it's not as accessible as something like, say, Loving or even Patterson in the sense that you have one character who allows you to access a very clean plot.
2: So we have a situation where there's been a lot of criticism of this festival on the basis that they don't put enough women or a high enough percentage of women in the competition. They tend to sloth them off on Sertan Regard or Director's Fortnight. Now this year, it looks like it's the women who are the front runners for the Palme d'Or.
0: Yeah, I mean, just to to pivot off of what I was saying there, I mean, those... Attributes are what make it such a bold gamble. I think what's working for the, these, these two of the three women in competition is that these are very bold movies that pull off the ambition.
2: Tony Erdman being the other one. Directed right, from Marinade.
0: I mean, this is a two and a half hour movie that in the U- US would have been produced by some studio starred Adam Sandler and run 90 minutes. It wouldn't have been terrible. But in this case, it, it's, it's such a subtle kind of genre hybrid of sorts and, and it's asking a lot of the audience and it, it's working. People are really responsive to that. So it's it's these are the two most ambitious films in competition, and they're associated with women. So in some ways, that's going to help that broader conversation that's going on.
2: But there are some f- incredible performances by women as well. The star of, of Toni Erdmann gives a great performance, the German actress.
0: Yeah, I'd also give credit to Sonia Braga in this uh, Brazilian film Aquarius. It's probably her best role, at least for on this scale, since Kiss of the Spider Woman, and it's just... Uh, remarkable turn for especially somebody at that stage of her career she's got nothing to prove and she's playing a character who's sort of proving her vitality past middle age and so i think it'll be actually a really fascinating race for the actors uh come sunday at the end of this festival even as much as it is for the palm
2: and then you have um i daniel blake um which is the most emotional deeply yeah it's the four hanky weepy of the competition she and really cried, I can attest uh, to it. It's another, it's a, and it's another example of, um, you know, there's a disconnect sometimes between critics and the way audiences and people on the street react to, to a movie. And this is a case where I think... Uh, um, Ken Loach has been doing such good work for so many years. He's always good. He's always solid. He's always very, uh, again, another Darden brothers kind of, you know, l- real naturalistic life, you know everyday what you're get. people. And to the extent that that's true, the critics have nothing new to write about.
0: It, it's it's tricky. They I mean, tend
2: it, to under they te- they tend yeah. to be underwhelmed, and I think that's not fair to the film.
0: Well, if, if I, Daniel Blake, was a first film, like last year we had this first film, Son of Saul, and people were like, who the hell is this guy? Where did, th- where did this movie come from? This is not a movie that I think would elicit that reaction from a first-time filmmaker. It would be sort of like, okay, it's, it's a very nice, bittersweet tale of this middle-aged guy. People would go
2: out of their minds bonkers if they had never seen another Ken Loach movie and saw this one for the first time.
0: We we would never see eye to eye on that one.
2: And I argue that critics are writers, okay? Critics are writers, and critics look for things to write about. And if they can't say something new, then they don't.
0: Well, that 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 could be true. At the same time, can sort of forces you to be aware of these monolithic auteurs. You know, I'm talking about Andrea Arnold. I think this is a movie that's stylistically consistent with their previous films, but they're very exciting and challenging in certain ways. Loach is is a much more traditional narrative director. I also think that there's a certain didacticism to what he does. It's sort of like when Nicholas Kristof writes an op-ed in the Times and he tells you a story to speak to a larger issue. I think that's what Loach is doing, and I'm not knocking him for it. I mean, this is a movie that's involving you know what it's like to be a working class person, homelessness, all that kind of stuff, and it does feel a little bit like I'm being lectured to, even if being tortured
2: by the state. Yeah. So I mean,
0: do I get excited about that? No, I appreciate it. But, it, but it, it doesn't feel like the, the grandest artistic gesture. And in a place like Cannes, that's really what excites me. So I guess my problem with a movie like that is that if that came away with the palm d'or, it would feel like a knock to the main things that we want to get out of this festival, which is this sense that. Speak film for is yourself.
2: An
0: art. <laughs> I'm trying.
2: <laughs> no, but this movie does not speak to film as an art.
0: I, well, I think it speaks to Ken Loach as an artist, and it doesn't I hope feel. So. But it doesn't feel to me like it's trying to say something fresh, or, or uh, it's really ambitious in that sense. That it, 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 I was never surprised, and the sentimental ending, um, I could see a mile away, as did you.
2: I did predict it, but it worked anyway. I wept buckets. So
0: what else have we seen that we've liked? It's actually been a pretty solid year, I think. It is a good year. When you, when you start breaking it down, there's, there haven't been a lot of duds.
2: Uh, the Pedro Amodavar screened, uh, and I thought it was um, not at the absolute top A-plus tier of Amodavar, but satisfying nonetheless.
0: I thought it was maybe the bottom <laughs> Maybe maybe a notch above that. There were a couple of weird ones in the '80s that don't totally hold together. But I was sort it's of surprised. One of his dark,
2: serious dramas, so very Hitchcockian.
0: I I just felt like it wasn't a complete movie. Like he was trying consciously to suppress his own style, which when that's what would have saved a, a story like.
2: It this. seemed very much his style. It's just that he didn't go for comedy in this case. He didn't go for broad. He went for drama.
0: In any case, it's uh, that's another Sony Pictures Classics movie because he's their natural. They're his natural and home. They, in the picked well. and they picked up Tony Erdman as well. They picked up Tony Erdman. So somebody like Pedro—is that a Woody Allen play? Is, that, is, is it just as much a safe bet that that movie, even though I'm not alone in thinking it's just okay?
2: No, I think the movie leaves the audience out a little bit. I think it's not going to play well necessarily with audiences, even though, except for the true diehard Pedro fans, of which there are many, he's one of the few master auteurs who still is recognized as such in the American market.
0: So we talk about all of these different things in this really condensed environment. We're talking about commercial possibilities. We're talking about, you know, I like this, you like this, and then we go back to the real world. So on Sunday, the Palme d'Ors are announced. And one of the things that's actually really striking about that is that even though there's so much anticipation about it right now, it really does not have a bearing on what happens to these movies when they're released. It can, but in the last two years or three years, it really has not been any sort of, you know, powerful kind of commercial force. I mean, you have something like Winter Sleep, a three-hour, 15-minute Turkish film, Win the Palme d'Or. Nobody went to go see that, as far as I could tell. No,
2: it has no impact unless it's already uh, got commercial possibilities. Jacques
0: Odiard's Deepon was not a smashing success this past year either. So what do we make of sort of the the insanity of the Cannes marketplace being so out of sync with the way that people are going to movies in the United States right now? Because I I can't make heads or tails. I, I get back the U.S., and I'm completely disoriented. It just feels like such a different universe in terms of how we relate to movies, talk about movies, how these films are perceived by audiences.
2: There will be a handful of movies from the usual suspects, Sony, plus a new suspect, Amazon, and their partners, plus IFC, a usual suspect. New entry the orchard they 're going to all submit these films are going to end up in the fall film festivals they 're going to end up in telluride they 're going to end up in toronto they 're going to ha- get buzzed they 're going to get built, and many of them will move on to the Oscar race. The one that has the best shot in that regard of all the things here, as we 've said is loving, which is focus features
0: I have to say under new management yeah, I mean, I have to say what what i 'm more excited about are the really peculiar things that not everybody loves but enough people love that there is some sort of life for them. The new Albert Serra film, I don't want to get into it too much right now, but it's the sort of thing that's kind of here because they're doing a tribute to Jean-Pierre Léaud who's in it, but it's essentially an experimental film in which he lies in a bed and dies for two hours. Um, I thought it was kind of great. Anne's going to hate it. But, uh, <laughs> I
2: love the death of Mr. Lazarescu. Don't yeah. underestimate well, under, uh, any, my possible. ability to be depressed.
0: We'll, we'll have to get to it at a future date. But, uh, but I, I've, I'm hearing stirrings that somebody wants to take a risk on this movie. I think we're going to hear about it in the next few days. Somebody's going to put it out there. And so, one of the things that I really like is seeing how those sort of stories continue. It's, it's a much smaller ecosystem than the Sony classics of the world.
2: Do we have time for a couple questions from the audience? Because Let's do I it. feel like we should solicit them.
0: So there's really no rules to this sort of thing. You can ask us about what we were talking about, or you can ask general things about the film industry. We can get, take this any number of different ways.
2: So the two of you were discussing the effect of, like, booing at a screening on the actual audiences itself, and um, I thought it was kind of funny that the Palme d'Or winner, um, taxi driver, actually was booed when it was screened here at Cannes. So I'm kind of wondering like, if you could expand a little bit more on that and how you feel personal shopper being booed versus being totally adored by some of the people I've spoken to will affect it back in the States or anywhere else that it's distributed.
0: You know, there was a great series at the Question. BAM Cinematheque in, in Brooklyn just a couple of years ago called Booed at Cannes, and they could keep it going. It actually was really well attended because some of these movies – have pretty significant followings, like La Ventura, which was booed at Cannes when it first premiered. So I think one of the first things to acknowledge is that it can be a badge of honor. It's a longstanding tradition, and that if you provoke a strong reaction here, it's a lot better than being ignored completely. Wouldn't you agree?
2: I agree, and and also the you, you can be, you can report a few flapping seats or or uh, or booing. I mean, there's thousands of people in there, and clearly Personal Shopper has been well-reviewed. So they don't represent the mess. They don't represent the whole thing. And there are not that many people tracking can, honestly back in the States. It's going to play on its own merits back there and the reviews that it gets in the States.
0: It is worth pointing out, though, it's a more fragile environment than it used to be, right? Because as soon as those boos happened, Internet, yeah. they were reported on, on Twitter, right? Which meant that the trades needed to respond to those reports and, th- and the news cycle started you know, within minutes so the first life of this movie following that screening was that it was booed so then you had that next step which was let's see how it plays at the public screening and it played well I think that was another sort of Test for the movie, and, and because it passed that one, it's starting to gain a little bit more. Well, momentum. the
2: movies always play better in the big theater with the audience. It, they do, you know. And even the, the bad thing, movies play well here.
0: They, well, they, yeah, they, they like being there in their tuxes and yeah. seeing the celebrities. But it's also it's, even it, the
2: BFG got applause at uh, at Cannes.
0: <laughs> they were just looking at Spielberg the whole time. Any other questions from the crowd? Yeah, have it over here. Hello. So the film industry has been under a lot of scrutiny for the lack of diversity, especially women not being represented. Um, and we now see three women now in this Cannes Film Festival. Do you see this, you know, continuing on in the future? Or is this sort of like a, okay, look, we got them in, but as people forget, like... You mean just a can in, in particular? Yeah, or just, you know, I think, or is this just an introductory of, like, you know, we're including
2: more, you know, art house, you know, women directors... You know, will this go across to like in the Oscar race? Will this, you know, will this spread, sure. or will it still be sort of what we've seen?
0: That's a, that's a great question. I mean, it, w- whether or not the kind of co- the conversation surrounding women directors at Cannes is going to continue around those films and in, in just more generally outside. Well, there's
2: the several place. different um, d- discussions going on. I mean, one would be how many women are getting hired behind the camera inside of Hollywood in big stakes filmmaking. That would be category one, which is the absolute worst and isn't improving very dramatically at all. The other would be the question of the consciousness raising on the part of people like Thierry Frimot and Cannes. Is he capable of looking at more movies and considering more movies and looking at them differently and, and giving more women auteur status. It's about how he looks at them and how he sees being them. Being invited into the club, being, essentially. Being, you know, it's, it's, it's a very uh, interesting process, and I don't know how conscious. He he thinks he did great this year. He thinks this well, was he, fabulous. percentage. He, he also blamed it on the
0: film industry, which was, I think, not the smartest. A move. little
2: disingenuous. So, so there's so many different layers of consciousness raising going on, on in all of you know. Is it festival? Is it individual countries? What is their relationship to the women behind the camera? It, it tends to be that more women are involved in films with lower stakes and lower budgets, and those are often the art films. And yet, why are they still in smaller numbers?
0: It's worth pointing out, though, last year the, the conversations surrounding sexism at Cannes had to do mostly with high heels on the red carpet. This feels like a much more complex, progressive dialogue going on, so maybe there's some value in, in seeing that contrast. Julia
2: Roberts went up the carpet barefooted. And uh, Kristen Stewart ditched her heels for the after party and wore flats.
0: Actually, at, at the Personal Shopper premiere, she showed up at the end in the Palais without her, her heels, which is the ultimate. Chispa, Excellent. Apparently, so,
2: on that note. Well, thank you <laughs> thank everyone you. for
0: being here. See you around.